Welcome to the Fit and Fierce podcast, a show to inspire and empower you and remind you that we're all a little messed up and that's okay. I'm your host, Megan. And in my personal journey, I realized that the fiercest thing I ever did was to ask for help. I no longer wanted my story to rule me. I was going to own it and share it. And throughout each one of these episodes, I want you to remember that being flawed doesn't make you less. It makes you more. The most amazing part of this podcast has been getting to sit down and speak with so many empowering women. Some I've never met, some I know through the grapevine, and some I know really, really well. My guest today, Laura Johnson, falls under the category of people I know really, really well. (laughs) She writes in her bio, and I'm not going to argue, it's pretty accurate, that she has been the heterosexual life partner of Megan, me, (laughs) for the past 18 years. Yes, that's a really long time. The conversation, though, we held back from being our obnoxious duo that we can typically be. At least I hope so. You guys see that maybe a little bit, but hopefully it's not too much for you to handle. But today, Laura and I really sat down and chatted about Laura's story and how she became an advocate not only for her own health, but for women in general. After experiencing two miscarriages and walking us through what that is like for somebody and opening up the conversation so no woman feels like she has to carry that burden by herself. She really, really wants people to know that there is light at the end of the tunnel, and she is a striking example of that. I'm proud to say I was able to do this interview. I'm more so proud to say that this amazing woman is my heterosexual life partner. Enjoy. Good morning, Laura. Thank you so much for joining me today. Good morning. Thank you. I'm I'm glad we're doing this. Me too. It's an interesting dynamic to get to talk to one of well, like my best friend in this setting. Like we will try to all of the listeners to <laughs> um remind ourselves that we're not as funny as we think we are. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> um, we we won't try to get like sidetracked on random tangents about something that happened 16 years ago. Yeah. Well, and that's it. You're pretty much my oldest friend who knows everything already. So I will be retelling you everything that you already know, which is going to be different. It I will. Mean, yeah. To be fair, we do rehash a lot of things. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's just a typical, a typical thing, but very interestingly, you know, as we talk today, it's, I was thinking about this before we were starting that yeah, it's definitely conversations that we've had, but a lot of this, I don't know, I've heard it all or heard it in this perspective where we're just kind of letting you sit down and explain your whole story and explain everything as it goes. So I think every time I talk to somebody, even when I know them, it's just a very different, it's a different feel to kind of do this in this setting and let somebody really sit down and be raw and vulnerable and open about their life and their experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. All right. So why don't you let all the listeners know who you are? Okay. Laura, um, I have been friends with you since we were about 15, um, which means we have been friends for yeah. over half our lives. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I, was like, I wasn't going to say the number. I mean, I can- I'm not embarrassed by my age, but it just, no. it's not that I'm embarrassed of my age. It just makes me realize the fact that like, oh crap, like we're getting older. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just say it was over half of our lives. <laughs> we have been friends. Um, so I live um, still in Northwest Wisconsin, um, not, not in the hometown we grew up in, but pretty close to there. Um, my husband is from here, so we live together. Um, we are both business owners and, um, now we have two little kids. How do you, before we get way sidetracked on everything, how on the earth do you two balance two hugely thriving (laughs) businesses, two young kids and life being a person? Um, we are very scheduled. Um, 
we are extremely lucky to have really good help with our families. Um, like my sister is awesome. We have awesome grandparents. Um, we have good babysitters, great daycare, like all of that helps a ton. Um, but I think that both my husband's name is Josh. Um, I think both Josh and I are also really good at, um, we are good at setting boundaries and we're good at saying no to a lot of, um, just to keep like the sanity there. Like I, I run a business. Um, I have a hair salon and I have 10 employees, which is a lot. Um, and Josh is a car dealer with three stores and like 120 employees. Mm. So he's got a lot more on his plate than I do. Um, but yeah, I feel like we just, we know what we can do and we know what we can't do. And I don't ever feel bad about saying no. And maybe that's like the best part about being in your thirties is like, you just don't care. (laughs) You don't, you don't care anymore. Like, I still feel like I really want to be involved in things and we do a lot, but, um, we're really good at knowing what we can do. There's a level also of not caring that sometimes that can sound callous and I know you're not meaning it to, but it's not that you're not caring. It's actually, you're stepping back from the situation and saying, I need to take care of myself first. It's not that I don't care about anybody else, but I know what it's like to put myself on the back burner. And that is not a positive situation. No, not at all. It, no, it's not. And you just don't, you run yourself too thin. I just, I feel like I'd rather do a couple of things really, really well than try to do a lot of things not well. Um, because that just makes me feel like bad about myself. Yeah. It's not really a positive or fostering situation to juggle many hats and not be really great at any of them. Yeah, definitely. Was there anything that got you to that point, Laura, or did it just happen through time? Um, I I think it's a little bit, probably my personality, but also definitely took me a while. Like I'm, um, being with my job, um, I have to be an extrovert at work, but that's not my natural personality. I am very introverted. Um, so I feel like I go through my day and I use up all of my store of energy. And so by the time I get home, I need to be quiet. Like I have had probably six to 10, like intense conversations where I am really involved with people. So I feel like when I got to the point of when I opened my salon, when I was doing hair, when I had a regular client load, I just realized that I was tired and I just couldn't do, I couldn't go out. Like we, we're in a small town. Um, we have, are asked to like either participate in a lot of fundraisers or community events or chambers of commerce, like all of that kind of stuff. And we were just getting to the point where it was like, I, we just, we just can't, we just can't do it. And it's okay to say no. Mm-hmm. There's something I was actually listening to a podcast, um, the other day and it was a speaking to somebody who was a chiropractor and they were talking about how they actually take on somebody's energy and there's energy shifts as you're touching somebody. And we don't think about that. And I was thinking of you at that point in time, you Mm -hmm. know, not only are you giving your energy to be bubbly, to have a conversation, but your hands on exchanging energy with somebody the entire time you're working with them. Yes. Yeah. Um, that, so I, I'm also, I am also an empath, which is like when you're absorbing other people's like energies all the time anyway, and other people's emotions. And it's really hard to kind of like separate that. Um, so I find myself exactly what you're saying, like getting drained really easily because of that. So, um, I don't know. I've, like kind of podcasts are a great way to learn new things. They really are. <laughs> um, and so I feel like I've listened to a lot of podcasts lately too, that talk about protecting your energy and what to do and that kind of thing. So I am now one of those people that turns into like the weirdo that carries like crystals in their pockets and special rocks and like that kind of thing. I mean, I think the real question is, who doesn't carry crystals around with them? Because that's totally my scene and I believe it. I embrace it. Maybe they're the odd ducks that don't, right? One thing that I wanted to talk with you a little bit about today, Laura, was your experiences with your struggles with 
um, miscarriages and getting pregnant. And I was very hesitant at first to actually ask you about this because I know that not everybody is wanting to come on to a public platform and share (laughs) your experience. Yeah. And thankfully, maybe because you were my friend and you felt forced to, or because you actually really (laughs) wanted to, I'm not sure, but you were obligated friend. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I know there's some of that too, but whatever. I won't, we'll, we'll leave that up to everybody's imagination (laughs) as to why she's doing it. But, um, can you talk a little bit about, and I'm going to let you just kind of dive into your story and share that, how, where you want to start and begin, but can you explain that a little bit for us? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, honestly, like you do know this story, so jump in if you remember something that I don't or whatever, but, um, because it wasn't just as well, I'll let people hear, but it doesn't was, wasn't just like one event or one thing like it was, a, yeah. it was a handful of years in your life yeah so um yeah okay um I I am pretty good talking about this and it's probably partially because of my job too like I talk to people all day long and women in particular all day long and so it's um I'm very good about talking about these kind of things because sometimes a client will sit in my chair that's gone through it and they don't know anyone else who has either. So sometimes it's just one of those things that's like, wow, you can connect with someone over this because they don't have anyone else. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm trying to remember. I feel like, okay, I think the first time I got pregnant, I was 27. Um, so I was like one of the first of our friends to get pregnant. I think we had one other friend that had a kid at that point. Um, and so there wasn't really anyone else. So I was excited. Josh was excited. Um, we decided not to tell anyone until 12 weeks. Um, and that was only because 12 weeks fell at Christmas. Mm. So we thought it was going to be a really fun way to tell people. And my mom had had a couple of losses. So it's not like that. It, it was in my mind. And I, I had this weird feeling of, you know, honestly, I just thought it was going to happen to me. Um, not like I wished it upon myself or not. I don't know. It was just like one of those things that I was like, like so mentally preparing for as much as you possibly can for something that hasn't happened. Um, I don't know why. Um, so unfortunately we like everything with the pregnancy was going really well for the first 11 weeks. Um, we told our parents, um, I think my parents are divorced. So I think we told my dad first, then maybe my mom, it was just like the progression in which we had, um, started telling people. And then on, um, it was December 23rd. So the two days before Christmas, um, we told my in-laws we had, literally given them the gift it was like a little like baby onesie and I went to the bathroom right after that and had bleeding so that was traumatic and immediately was like sick to my stomach shaking couldn't like had a hard time even sitting there um then of course because we were having dinner and opening presents and stuff um I'm trying to tell my husband what's going on because I'm scared and there's nothing we can do at eight o'clock at night. So we're like, we had to wait to the next day, which was Christmas Eve. So we made an emergency appointment. Um, I hadn't even actually had my 12 week appointment yet. The first time I was going to be going in was, I think it was like December 26th. So we, um, we went in and they did an ultrasound and they didn't find anything. Um, they could see that there had been a baby and everything, and um, it was the preg- the pregnancy didn't go through. Um, so Josh and I talked. I was actually in hair school at the time, um, so we I was on break from that. Um, Josh had a job. It was Christmas, and at that point, my OBGYN um, told me like you, you have two options. You can pass this naturally, or you can do a DNC. Um, the DNC is when they bring you in. Um, it's an outpatient procedure. You get everything clear. They clear everything out for you. You get put under and, um, your body can kind of resume normal function a little faster. Um, the other choice was to let the miscarriage progress naturally. Uh, at that stage, I did not feel like I could 
do it naturally because I was in school and it was really emotional and everything. So we decided to do the DNC. Um, that was Christmas Eve. Mm. So we spent Christmas Day basically laying in bed and crying a lot. So that was my worst Christmas ever. I can't. Um, yeah, just <laughs> and the actually, joys of all of that and just telling people and anticipating what that day and what that holiday was going to be. Yeah. To what it turned into. Yeah. And actually, now that I'm, like, trying to think back, it was, like, that was obviously, like, a really emotional time. So, I meant, like, having I'm, – I'm always a little foggy on, like, exact details. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we also had, like, two family members die also. Like, that was really weird. <laughs> Do you remember that? Like, I feel like it was, like, my aunt's fiancé, and then it was, like, Josh's grandma or oh, something. that's it was right. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, there was just, like, a lot going on then. This is why, like, this one is a little, I'm so fuzzy about some of that. Well, we Um, just do that as a traumatic, I mean, it's a traumatic experience. So we just, our body is just wanting to protect us from that. Exactly. Um, So with that, we we were with, um, I don't want to say which medical organization I was with, um, but just going through this, and I can talk about this later too, but I did not stick with this medical provider, but I did for a while. Um, my, my OBGYN told me that at that point, um, we didn't have to wait. You know, she said everything looked good. As far as she could tell, we could try again. Um, we did, I feel like I had maybe like one normal period and I got pregnant again. So my issue has never been getting pregnant. I can get pregnant. I cannot (laughs) stay pregnant. I cannot stay pregnant without medical intervention. I just didn't know it then. Um, so my second miscarriage, um, you kind of lose the joy of being pregnant and you're just scared shitless. Which is so Um, sad. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, we like, so for our first pregnancy, we had taken some like little pictures, like for a pregnancy announcement, like all that stuff. Um, we didn't want to do any of that the second time because we were so scared Mm -hmm. and, you know, of course, like social media is so big and this was, this was, um, must've been five or six years ago. So it's like, you know, social media, I, it's grown a lot in that amount of time, but you know, like doing a pregnancy announcement was new and cute and all that stuff. Well, we didn't even want to, we didn't even want to tell people because we didn't know what was going to happen. And through all of this, I just felt like there was something wrong with my body. Like, again, I don't want to say I was wishing myself a miscarriage or anything like that, but it was just like, I knew something was wrong. Well, that's intuition. That's not, yeah, that's not you wishing anything bad. It's just, I think you're very, as an empath and somebody else, I think you're just very in tune to your body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I didn't, I had a really hard con- time connecting to the second pregnancy. Um, I was pregnant the second time. So with the DNC, um, we also decided to do genetic testing with um, everything that was l- remaining inside me um, so that we we could know, like, was this a healthy pregnancy and something went wrong? Was there a genetic defect? Like, you know, there's a lot you can learn from that. And we chose to go that route. Um this is one reason I moved away from this healthcare system was the phone call I got during my second pregnancy from them in which they told me, um, the baby had been healthy and it was a boy. Mm. That was really hard. Mm. Um, really hard to hear. And then she was just like, okay, bye. Have a good day. Mm. When I had gotten like the saddest information I could have had. Did you, can you explain like I don't even know how to ask, like, not to be, why was that sad? Like, I don't even know how to ask that. And not like a hard way, but like, because you're grieving something that was more tangible. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it was like the, almost like the callous way and she like delivered it was mm-hmm. really hard. Um, Cause it was just like, oh, and um, okay, I'm going to continue my day. Here you go. Like baby was healthy. Um, I think that was really hard because it was like, okay, yep. My body just, just sent it on its way. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it was, um, and then I think knowing it was a boy too, was just, that just sucked. There's just something real about that. Not, and I have no idea. 
But to me, that's like, oh, wow. Like, there, yeah, there's something more solid in that. Yeah, it was. And it was like, I was only 12 weeks, but that gives you a good three months to play in your life. Mm-hmm. So, and also I felt like it was really hard because I was right in the middle of my, or right in the beginning of my second pregnancy. Like I knew I was pregnant and they, they sent that. So it was like, this is a different baby. And that mm-hmm. was weird. So with my second pregnancy, um, being really nervous and being scared, getting that information and everything, um, we were kind of just waiting, 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 waiting for that first ultrasound. Um, I think they were going to do it a little bit early, too. I don't remember. Like, I felt like since I'd had one miscarriage, they were like, okay, why don't you come in at like nine or 10 weeks instead of the normal 12? So um, at eight weeks... Um, which oddly enough would then be the due date of my first <laughs> living child. Um, so it was a year. So um, on it was March 23rd, um, which was Piper's due date. Um, I found out I was miscarrying for the second time. Um, I was actually in Chicago for a um, like work conference um, with a friend who I did not tell I was pregnant to. Um, and had to do a flight home, had to drive two hours, feeling like I was going to vomit, um, act like I wasn't freaking out again, call Josh, have him call the clinic. And then we immediately drove straight from, like, she dropped me off at my car. I drove straight to the clinic. Going, and it was confirmed it was another miscarriage. Mm-hmm. So the second pregnancy, um, was actually was a little bit different um because I had been they thought actually I started miscarrying a little bit earlier than my bleeding started um they didn't know if there was a embryo they didn't know if it was like a molar pregnancy like they just didn't really know so I I don't know I don't know if that could have been um a pregnancy that was good or if it wasn't I don't know Um, the hard part with that one now goes into like the point in time of my life when I turned into a crazy person. Um, we chose under my doctor's recommendations to not do the DNC this time and to let the miscarriage go naturally. Why did you choose differently the second time? Um, I didn't want to go under anesthesia again. Um, there's a lot of obviously medical cost with doing that. Um, I had graduated from school at that point. Um, so I had a little bit more time at home. Like my doctor said, this will probably take one to two weeks. And at that point I could have been starting my new job. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was like one to two weeks, I can do this. I don't want to go under anesthesia again. Um, it was what my doctor recommended. And so I thought we could do that. Um, So not only was I a crazy person because I had had two miscarriages, not understanding what's wrong. I knew something was desperately wrong. Um, my, my clinic, I, I really feel completely dropped the ball. And this goes also into be your own advocate. Um, and you can switch and you can go to a different doctor and you don't have to just take them at their word all the time. And that's not to say that you shouldn't believe what doctors are telling you, but if you don't feel like you're getting good care, make the switch. Mm-hmm. Um, I was told um, while I was in that appointment um, with the ultrasound for my second miscarriage in which she told me that they don't do any testing on the mother until they've had their third miscarriage. So I sat in that clinic room being like, I don't fucking want to go through this again. Oh, can I say fucking? Yeah, I say it often. (laughs) Like you go right ahead. You know that that's not going to be censored out of my mouth. You go right ahead. All right. Well, then I was like, I don't fucking want to do this again. Like, what do you mean? I have to wait for a third one. Like who the hell tells someone, while they're bawling that you have to do this again. I can't, I couldn't imagine when you told me that, I thought that that was a joke. I don't even understand. 
I don't know who makes yeah. that. I don't know the, I don't care what your logical explanation of that is. Like you said, yeah. to tell a mother who has experienced that once and now twice that you have to go through that most likely again. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew there was something wrong. I'm like, this isn't normal. It's not, it, this, this is not normal. Um, yeah. So, um, now goes into like my first and second week after having that miscarriage and I was still bleeding, um, a lot and I was passing. I didn't know what, um, it was, I was just passing a lot. So I was thinking I'm passing tissue. I'm passing everything. Um, but there was a lot and I was wearing a big pad every day. Um, not knowing what was I, what was I supposed to be expecting? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have any friends that had even had one miscarriage, much less having two and then going through all this. Um, by the time I got to the end of the third week and I was still bleeding, I was like, there is something wrong. I had huge blood clots. And I'm not talking like quarters. I'm talking like golf balls and oranges and baseball terrifying it was terrifying and again like I would be calling the clinic and saying this is what's happening and they'd go well are you doing that an hour I was like well I'm not changing my pad in an hour but I'm having this all day long like it'll go away for like a day or two and then I'd pass these huge clots well it was clotting and passing and clotting and passing. And I was like, this isn't normal. Like, I'm not a medical professional, but I got to tell you, I don't think this is right. Mm -hmm. Um, I was calling the clinic and they just kept telling me, you need to wait until your HCG levels, which is the pregnancy hormone, are down to zero before you can start trying again. Um, They wouldn't do the DNC. Um, I kept calling and being like, can I just have this over and done with? can you do the DNC? And they were like, no, 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 your levels are so low. They'd take my blood. Um, then they finally, I, and I could never get through to my doctor. Like I'd call and call. Nobody would ever let me talk to the doctor. It was always the nurse. So finally I got this answer from the nurse at five weeks Mm. of miscarrying. She said at the end of the five weeks, we'll do your blood. And then I'll talk to your doctor about doing a DNC. So I was like, oh, my God, okay. I'm like, okay, something's happening. Like, they're listening. I can do this. I can make it another week. I, I, can, I can do this. I can do one more week. That, that like, mentally I could do. They, um, I was supposed to be, I was working in the Twin Cities in Minnesota at that time. Um, and I was the five weeks I was supposed to leave, to go to work. I got my blood work done. I like called the lab. They told me it would only be a couple hours. I called on my drive to work and they said, you still have hormone in you. And I was like, I don't understand this. So the nurse, not the doctor called me again. And she said, I talked to your doctor and she does not want to do a DNC. Your hormone levels are still so low. And I just, I like had to pull over on the side of the road and I was bawling, basically begging this woman to help me. And she was like, you need to keep going. And I was like, how, how, how can you keep doing this daily reminder of the worst like experience of your life for five to six weeks? Like at that point I was like, this is like cruel. I just can't imagine it. It's a punishment that is yeah. beyond it. Just reliving that all day, yeah. every day. It was awful. It, it was really awful. Um, so at that point, um, you and I have a mutual friend from high school um, whose wife had had similar issues. Um, I messaged her and was like, what did you do? Who did you go to? I have to switch. I'm like, this healthcare." Um, system, this doctor, this is not working for me. Um, I'm like, I, I don't care how far I have to travel. I'm already driving to the Twin Cities every day. Like, I don't care. Like, I, I just need somebody. So um, this gets to like the happiest part. But I just want to say, like, if there's any silver lining through all of this, I did find an answer. And the other thing is, like, that, let's say, eight months of just like the worst period of my life, really like looking back 
um, that was the worst part of my life, but it was quick. Like eight months feels long when you're in the middle of it, but it's really not that long if you can find answers and move past it. That's uh, like crying for you just saying that to like be able to get to that space and say that and to for somebody who's going through that to hear that and listen to that and know that there's light for them. It's not always going to be that way. Yeah. So it got better. Um, but it was, yeah, it's dark. It gets better. Um, now I'm crying. <laughs> oh, ugly crying. All right. That's okay. So, um, I got the name of a doctor in the cities. Um, it was, I will shout this one yeah, out. Metro go- OBGYN. In a lot of clinics in the Twin Cities, um, I went to the Woodbury Clinic. They had one in Hudson. They had one in Maplewood. Um, they are freaking fantastic. Dr. Hallman. Dr. Kevin Hallman. Write his name down. I, I'm right. It'll be in the show notes. I'll put it in there, honestly. Okay. I loved him. Um, my stepsister ended up having a baby delivered by him. Um, he, he's just great. So um, she gave me the name of this doctor and I called my boss because I'm pulled over on the side of the road crying. And she was like, she, I didn't tell anyone at my new job. I had literally been in this new job for four weeks. Mm. Um, They were like unprepared for this mess of a person and God bless them. They were amazing people too. So I will also give them a shout out. Spallon Montage. (laughs) If you're in the (laughs) city, go and do it. Go work there. (laughs) Um, they were super supportive of everything. And she was like, go call, figure out what you have to do. Um, I called Metro OBGYN and I talked to a nurse who was immediately like, there is a problem here. Mm. You need to come in today. Like they didn't wait. So I drove back home, pick up Josh. They made me a seven o'clock PM appointment at their clinic and was like, you need to come in now. Um, I came in, I met with Dr. Hallman and immediately he had a plan. He was like, none of this is normal. What you are going through is not typical. It's not normal. You, there is a problem here. You shouldn't be miscarrying for six weeks. Like you shouldn't be having blood clots of this size. So the first thing was like, what's our game plan? He gave me a list of like five different blood tests he could do that night take my blood, run the tests. And he said, you need a DNC. He's like, you shouldn't be passing as much as this all the time. So we made the DNC for the next day and I got it done. Um, I was still under and um, Dr. Hellman had come out, talked to Josh in the waiting room and said, you guys made a really good decision. There was so much tissue, blood clotting, just like problems with my uterus that he's like, this would not have ended quickly or easily or any time in the foreseeable future. So I am forever grateful that I made the call to my friend and then made the call to the clinic. Um, the best part about all of that was um, the five simple, easy blood tests that he chose to give me, which at this point, I don't remember what they all were, but one of them came back positive which was for the MTHFR gene mutation, which I don't know if you've ever talked about that. I haven't, so please do. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'll probably butcher all of this. If you have this, I am so sorry if I'm telling it wrong, but like Google it. I think you know very, very well. You're not yeah. going to butcher it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so MTHFR, which when you see it spelled out, looks like the motherfucker gene. Because it is. Um, it is. Um, I have the two gene defect, which means my, I got one gene from my mom, one gene from my dad, um, to give me the two gene defect. Um, there is a lot with this gene, um, and it affects like it's something crazy. Like I feel like it's 40% of the population, um, is affected by this, like men, women. Um, but it's not tested for regularly in the U S. Um, you would have to ask for it. But, like, when I go donate blood, I'm O-neg, so Red Cross loves me. Um, But I have to tell them that this is a blood clotting disorder. So um, that is partially what it is. 
there's a lot of I, I won't go into all of the things with this gene um because again I, I do think I'd probably butcher it a little bit well I have some um, good resources too that I will like you share and I'll make sure that all okay. this is in the show notes some like really great Perfect. links to like a, if you're questioning it some really great resources to go yeah. and check out so the MTHFR gene, um, especially for people that have the two gene mutation, but definitely for people who have the one gene um, mutation also, um, can have problems with fertility. Uh, so what my doctor kind of described it to me, my first two pregnancies, um, my blood is thicker than an average person. Um, so when the umbilical cord is forming and um, you're transferring nutrients to your baby, um, my blood was thick, um, was blocking the nutrient flow and basically collapsed the umbilical cord, which then obviously can't sustain a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so he thinks that's probably what happened twice. Um, the interesting thing with him, so this is just, this is my doctor's anecdotal story, but um, he said it affects a really high rate of the German population. Um, a lot of Germans had this. I have German ancestry. And um, it, he's, it goes back a long way, but basically it was a gene um, that was passed on. And um, there is a lot of German population in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Um, we are Norwegian, Swedish, you know, some other ethnicities in there, but there's a lot of Germans. So he's actually dealt with this on a lot of people. So he gave me a plan right away. Um, The first thing is I couldn't take prenatals. I had to be very specific about the supplements I was taking because, okay, now is it folate um, is easily processed with MTHFR. Folic acid is not. Is that correct? We just had this discussion too. Yeah, I know. Um, And this is where like. Um, as the host, maybe I should research things a little bit, but it's going to be in the show it, notes. It's going to be in the show notes. Like, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the the additive that's in everything that we eat is not what is able to be processed by somebody with the gene mutation. Yes. So with um with the MTHFR gene mutation, it means you can't you can't process synthetic versions of folic acid. So folic acid in all the prenatals I was taking was really harming my body. I can't synthesize it. I can't get rid of it. Um, It was just storing up. And so the baby wasn't getting the nutrients that needed anyway. Um, So a lot of what I had to do then when I was pregnant was just really healthful diet, which is good because I actually am horrible at taking (laughs) supplements and prenatals are large. And if I would take them in the morning, I'd get like, sweats and the shakes if I did it on an empty stomach because my stomach can't handle anything (laughs) I feel like that's the sign of age is when you can't even take like a pill in the morning let's let's be real (laughs) I was gonna call you jerk let's be real Laura like that is not a behavior that started with age so like don't even like don't don't play I know no so, <laughs> um, this is so where I being have... your friend for 16 yeah. years, it comes in like, yeah, I'm going to call her bullshit you know right me. on here. Like, no, that's, that happened at 15 too. Yeah, it did. Okay, <laughs> um, so I couldn't take a lot of supplements. I just had to be like very specific about the ones I was taking. Like I could still do like the fish oils. I think I did. Um, my girlfriend's a chiropractor. So like she gave me like the little kid gummies so I could take those. Well, and, and then I just said pure yeah. folate. That's it's the folic acid, the synthetic folic acid is what is disruptive, which very oddly enough is what's in prenatal vitamins. Correct. Yes. So a lot of people can process it, but a lot of people can't. Um, And then the other thing I had to do. So with this, because it is um, a clotting disorder, um, I had to be on from the moment I found out I was pregnant. Um, when I got pregnant with Piper for the third time and when I got pregnant with Bram for the fourth time, uh, immediately had to be on injections of a blood thinner every day. So I was injecting um, Lovenox every day through my entire pregnancies. And um, explain to people where you do those injections and what that entailed. That Um, might scare them, but... (laughs) Yeah, so you have to do... um, I was lucky. I only had to do one injection a day. Some people have to do two, um, but you have to do it into the fatty parts of your body. So I was doing them into my stomach every day. 
Um, and if you haven't done injections of Lovenox before, they burn like fire being injected under your skin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are really horrible. <laughs> once a day. Um, every once day. a day. Every day. Same time. So I would do them at night. Um, it just seemed to work better for me. I do them. Um, I found if you haven't done um, Lovenox, I would have to do it myself because my husband is the worst <laughs> and would like get fainty and pass out if he watched me. So whatever to that guy, he sucks. <laughs> but I had to do it myself. So I basically, I would just ice my stomach for 10 to 15 minutes until I was like numb because it burns like fire. And then I would um, inject it into my stomach. So it was always awful, but towards the end of pregnancy, your stomach begins to like, you run out of places and you bruise really bad with, um, Lovenox. So it was like, it looked like I had the shit beat out of me on my stomach. Um, and then it was like elephant skin. It was so tough. Like I couldn't even like push a needle through anymore. So do, um, (laughs) when you were deciding at that point in time, when you knew, when you were deciding that you wanted to get pregnant. Were you having to take those injections prior to, or was it once your pregnancy was confirmed? Um, once it, once my pregnancy was confirmed. So um, that is a really good question, though. Um, I do have to be on a baby aspirin every single day for the rest of my life. Um, I also, um, I can talk about this too, um, maybe in a little bit, but uh, I can't, I can't ever pick up smoking darn, <laughs> um, because of the high risk of blood clots. Um, but the, the baby aspirin is, um, due to, um, my excessive, um, blood clotting rates, I guess. Um, so yeah, I can't also be on any hormonal birth control. That was going to be some follow-up questions that I had for you. Yep. Okay. And for listeners Um, to think about. Yep. Um, I, I can't do any of that. Um, and I just have to be really careful. So like if I'm going to be traveling for a car in a long time, when I'm flying, I have to be really good about not forgetting my baby aspirin. Um, and then I also have to always let people know. So, um, like I'm in the beauty industry and I love the beauty industry and I have my brows microbladed. Um, so I had to like, let them know. And I have to, if, when I get a tattoo, I just have to let people know, or I have to not take my baby aspirin for like the day before possibly. So always check with your doctor about that, but I'm okay to like, sometimes like skip it if I need to. But, um, like my doctor had talked to me too. Like if I was doing a lot of overseas traveling or I was doing a lot of flying, I probably would have to do, um, either heparin or heparin's another blood thinner. Um, but I would either probably have to do heparin or Lovenox, um, just because it's, um, it, it would help me for clotting reasons if I was doing a ton of travel. Cause when you sit and you travel for people who don't know, like there's just a lot of yep. stagnation, then you add a plane yep. and you add like the pressure changes and it's just kind of a really, it can be a good perfect storm for a clot. Right. Yep. Yep. So the good news is when I was pregnant, um, I did, um, we did two trips um, to Europe during that time. Um, and actually the crazy thing was he said I would be in really good hands if I had to go to the hospital in Europe because they do actually do more testing for this gene disorder. So that was interesting. An interesting but, piece as to why we don't and they do. And Yep, exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I did Lovenox every day. Um, I, I, I shouldn't, I think like Piper's birth story would maybe be for another episode (laughs) because that that was, it was like, um, the worst case scenario birth, (laughs) but I had another one. So it must've gone like, okay. But, um, yeah, that the bad birth story, but, um, I, my doctor was so great and he helped me so much with like all of my fears through all of that. Um, he was really accessible to me. He was like the guy, I have his cell phone number still in my phone. Um, he was like text or call anytime, like, let me know when you need to go to the hospital. Like I will support you with whatever you need. Like just so great to have, um, a specialist, I guess that, that was like there for me with all of that. Um, they're also really great. I mean, they do a lot of fertility issues. Um, they deal with all kinds of stuff and they're, I'm assuming they're a standalone, like they do, I don't know exactly what that's called in the medical field, but, um, they don't, they're not under a hospital. They're like their own clinic, which was really nice. Which if anybody knows anything about medical care, anytime you kind of have a standalone, they get a a way, 
away with a lot more loosely said of they're not as strict with being dictated by and mandated on how they have to care for people, which allows that practitioner to give you his cell phone to say, like, we're going to do things off the cuff in a way that should be done versus what is just typical protocol. Yep. And yeah, I, I cannot sing their praises enough. They were absolutely fabulous. So you had said, thankfully, you now have two very, very adorable children. <laughs> Thanks. What was it like during those pregnancies emotionally, fear-wise? Was it different <sighs> because now you had a team that was supporting you? Or was it still just as terrifying as the second pregnancy? It was still pretty terrifying, just like Bram, not as much. I did a lot better with Bram um, because Josh, it was really hard with Bram because Josh and I agreed that if if that pregnancy did not go to term, we wouldn't be trying anymore mm-hmm. because it was just too hard. Um, and it's like freaking expensive. Like my Lovenox injections for like a month, um, I had good insurance and they were still like $1,200 a month. Which is crazy. For so, nine months. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean. Yeah. So it's like, it was expensive for me to be pregnant. It was really hard on my body. Um, I was incredibly sick and um, it like Josh was, Josh was the one who finally had to be like, it's not worth it to not have a good quality of life. Mm-hmm. Like, so um, it was hard with Bram, but at the same time easier because I did have a child. So I knew I was capable of bringing a child to term. Um, but Piper was terrifying the entire time. It's like, it was like, not that I didn't want to connect and not that I didn't want to hope, but it was really hard. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, I felt like they were okay. My team was awesome. And, like, super good family support, super good friend support, and, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be pregnant again, and, <laughs> like, maybe that's your follow-up question, so I'll let you ask No, <laughs> that you answered that. And that, and, and you explained very poignantly why. Like, it, yeah, it, it is not an easy process for you. Yeah, no. So, with my, um, and maybe, maybe this was something you are going to talk about, but I'll just jump in, um, I can't. So since I couldn't be on um, birth control, I my I I was really lucky that I didn't have like a lot of cramping with my periods or anything like that. But I bleed like a stupid amount, like so much blood, such big clots, like super scary. Um, And it was like to the point now I'm a hairstylist. I take haircuts every 30 to 45 minutes and colors all day long. And I'm the owner of my salon. I couldn't run to the bathroom every 30 to 40 minutes to change out a tampon or a pad. Um, My bleeding was excessive. Um, So because I didn't have any alternatives, um, my doctor didn't feel comfortable with me being on an IUD. Like some of them are hormonal. He didn't love the IUD anyway. Um, Can't be on anything else. Um, My husband did have a vasectomy, so it wasn't about children. Um, I did choose to have a hysterectomy in January. So I kept my ovaries. Um, I just took my um, uterus and cervix. And what was... And this is due to, again, the gene defect. Okay. I was going to ask what was kind of the prompting of that just difficult pregnancies in general or really that gene mutation. It was, it was the gene. <laughs> yeah. Um, so because, because of my um, clotting problems, um, my heavy periods, all of that, I had no way to control it. Like white pants would be a joke mm-hmm. for me. Like that would never happen. I wear black at work. Um, thank God, because there were often problems with leaking and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, I didn't, I, I didn't have really another option. Um, I could have done an ablation, which means that they like basically cauterize with like boiling hot water, the inside lining of your uterus, um, which can, for a lot of people, it can help. My doctor felt like for me, um, it, I could have had the potential to that I would start bleeding again in the future or it might not work completely. So I just chose to have the hysterectomy so that I didn't have to do multiple other procedures. And I'm imagining that that decision and that process was very scary. But thankfully, again, having a team that you had so much trust and faith in yeah. helped make that decision a little yeah. easier. I won't lie. I was so excited to do it like it was scary and like obviously like I wouldn't have done a hysterectomy if that wasn't my only option but like 
I will tell you, my quality of life has improved a ton. <laughs> just, I, I had my period every 22 days or 23 days. It was awful. Which is just so impactful of your entire life. Yeah, yeah. And when I didn't know I had a blood problem and I was able to be on, uh, I, I probably never should have been on birth control, but you don't know what you don't yeah, know. Yeah. So um, I was like the person who would skip every other period um, using my birth control because I had it so frequently. So, um, for me now, honestly, like this was in January, I've had four months. Um, I'm thrilled right now. It was the right decision for us. Mm -hmm. And that's, I like that you say that too. Not everybody has a handful of options and decisions and you need to find a provider and a care team that is giving you all of the options and then is figuring out the best route and the plan for each and every individual. Right. Right. What is one thing, Laura, that you would tell a woman that is going through, you said already like that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Is there something else that you tell the women that are sitting in your chair in your salon, something about that experience? Um, I guess I, I mean, I feel like I do say that a lot. I'm like, you're, you're, if you've just had that happen or you're currently going through your miscarriage, this is the hardest part. This it is. That is the hardest part. Because everything that comes afterwards, you can set a plan for. Like, I I was not a person who, like, if I couldn't have naturally had a child, I knew I wanted a child, and we would have fostered or adopted. So I never felt like I had to be personally the one having the baby. Like, I didn't need to be pregnant. I didn't, like, the family and the child was what was important to me. And I know that's different for everyone. But I I felt like it was awful going through the miscarriages. But I knew once, like, once I kind of was able to be like, these are my options. I have a lot. I have a lot. I would have done IVF if, if that had like come up like I would have done all of those things because I knew what I wanted my end result to be I just had to figure out how I was going to get to that point so that's kind of what I say and like when I'm talking to people I like kind of probe that out like do you feel like it's really like is it really valuable to you that you have to be the one who's pregnant and if they say yes be like okay well like Start looking at doctors, start talking about your options, start asking some questions, like find out what you can do. And if you have somebody telling you that you have to wait till your third miscarriage, you might not sync with them and you can find someone else. Mm-hmm. Be your, be your own advocate yeah. as you had yeah. said earlier. Yeah. I just, I think that, and of course not everything, you know, not everyone has the funds to adopt or not, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of expense involved with all with these options. Um, but that's not to say you can't be creative and you do have support around you. So I think it's just, it kind of helps give people a little bit of control back too. And yeah, well, I guess, yeah, yeah, that kind of sums it up. Mm -hmm. So what is one thing that you would tell somebody that is not experiencing that or what is, you know, the people that were around you, I know that you and I had had this conversation, like, I don't understand what that's like. I don't know how to talk to what things to say to you. I don't know how, if you want to talk about it, if you don't want to talk about it, if I'm the right person for you to talk about it with. Yeah. Um, it's the first thing is Nobody knows what to say and everyone means well, but that doesn't mean that the things that they don't say aren't extremely painful. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing that I, when people tell me they're going through that, I just say, I am so sorry. That sucks. Because it, I mean, I just feel like there isn't anything else to say. Like you can't say everything's going to be okay because they don't know that and they don't know what okay is for them yet. And don't, don't, they, I had a couple of things that are like, don't say it. Please say that. Like get your, don't say, at least you can get pregnant. Like everybody has a fertility journey. Like just because I could get pregnant doesn't make it any easier than the person who can't get pregnant. Like that is two different journeys. It doesn't make either one any more or less painful. And it's not a comparison. 
Um, I had so many people say that and it's like, yeah, I can get pregnant, but if I can't carry a baby to term, what is the how, point? Yeah. But like, I, I have like, my body is a natural baby killer. I'm like, how? like without medical intervention, how is that a useful conversation? Mm-hmm. To have? Mm-hmm. Um, that was really, really hard. Um, anybody telling me God has a plan <sighs> and I'm a spiritual person, but anybody telling me that was like, yeah. I get what you're saying, but that doesn't make what your words any less painful. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it was not comforting. It was just super painful. Um, and my goal in life is always to like not cause people pain. <laughs> so I just feel like you could, you could come up with a lot of different ways to maybe get that across. Um, yeah, those were like the two big ones or like, um, that I felt like were just like, that is really hard to hear. This was just really hard to hear. And I think just coming back to the same thing, nobody is going to, nobody is going to have words that are going to change that for you. Nobody yeah. is going to change it. So just yep. to say like, you know what? I hear you and I'm sorry. Yep. And that sucks really bad. Yep. That's really all like, cause he can't say anything else that, that worked. That, that was good. Mm-hmm. What was it like you had mentioned to, you know, you were at a stage where you were one of the first of our friend group to one, get pregnant, which is something kind of to stand alone on its own. But then what resources did you use when you felt very alone and very by yourself of somebody who was experiencing now something that nobody else around you was either one talking about or knew what that was like? Um, unfortunately at that stage of my life, I did not have good coping mechanisms Um, because, okay. So before I said I was an empath, one of the hardest things for me during that time was talking to other people because they, I could feel how sad they were. And then it was layering my sad with more sad. So I did really struggle and hindsight's 2020. I probably should have seeked help, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, just to have somebody like talk about those like issues in, um, and to like go through it and just like a better way to like sort my feelings because I internalize a lot of stuff just all the time. Like I have like three people in my life that like I'll really open up to. And that's like you and Carrie and then my other friend, Lauren. Mm -hmm. Um, but other, like, those are like the three people, like, especially at like that time that I would really tell everything to. And I didn't even really want to talk about it with you guys that much because not that I knew you wouldn't be there for me, but it was just, it was like that flood of emotion would just wash over me all the time that I couldn't stay afloat with that. Mm -hmm. So, um, seek help if you need it. That's my takeaway. And you don't always realize you need the help. Like I thought I was handling it really well on my own or as well as I possibly could. And I probably wasn't. I think that you were handling it as well as you could on your own. Yeah. Yeah. I could have probably handled it better. I just, I really didn't recognize that. And you brought up a couple times the word crazy and I know we're friends and we make light and I know you're making light and I just like our words hold that power. And you were in a crazed time in your life because of everything you were experiencing and the emotions that your body was going through and the whole, but there's just, it's just interesting to hear you say that now that way. And I know again, like we make light of that and we do this, but like, yeah. It's not that, I mean, you had a crazed time and maybe, maybe I'm putting words I was, in your mouth. I, like, I, I was pretty, I was pretty off the handle. Like looking back, like I had the worst, like, like just thoughts that didn't make any sense. Like not even like negative things. It was just like, I, I probably needed to be like uh, either medication or some intervention. Like mm-hmm. I, yeah. I mean, we were like joking about it, but yeah, I probably should have. And I think that's a big takeaway for other women to hear as well to, yeah. if you don't feel, if you don't have a support system that understands around you, and even if you do, sometimes reaching out to the people that we're very close with, no matter what you're battling is the most challenging. Right. It's easier to discuss it with somebody who's removed from that situation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because they don't have the emotional attachment to you. And I think that was really and that, and I didn't, cause of course you never want to be a burden on anyone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think sometimes too, for me, 
I get that way, but that's my excuse that I put up because I just don't really want to have that conversation with somebody. Yeah. Well, and that's, um, that's the point, like also at this stage of your life too, where you can, you can be more self-reflective and see those like traits in yourself and be like, I know this about me. Um, I know that I do this because I just don't want to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that yep. that solves it. But at least you nope. can be self-reflective and say, hey, I acknowledge I'm doing this. Yep. I'm not going to change my behavior right now, but I'm acknowledging that this <laughs> yes. is happening. Hey, that is the first step. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I appreciate very much, Laura, you being open and honest and having this conversation. And I know that this would have been something that would have been a little bit of a relief or helpful to you, I think, at this time to hear somebody else's struggles. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And I know that the impact that you're going to have on so many others is going to be really, really profound by you sharing this. Well, I hope so. It I will. Hope so. I know so. <laughs> I know it will. And I know that the other women that you come in contact with just on such a regular basis, like the light and hope that you give to them is huge. Yeah. So after all of the heaviness that was that in, in a much needed way, we are going to end with some rapid fire questions. Maybe we should have started with that. Now (gasps) I feel like it's like, Oh, we're going to dismiss all this conversation. Like now let's have random questions, but we're going to do it anyway. (laughs) Okay. I'm stressed. All right. Don't be stressed. Um, What is your morning or evening routine? Um, well, my morning routine is coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, You sound like your sister who is also on this podcast. Yeah, Yeah, I did listen to that. Um, yeah. Um, and it's not because I need caffeine. I enjoy coffee. I enjoy having a warm cup of coffee in the morning. (laughs) Um, I just love it. So, um, that, that is like the first thing that I do. Um, well, actually, no, I should be more specific. I like a cup of coffee um, on my drive to work while I'm listening to a radio or the podcast. Like, that's what I like to do. Um, but my morning routine um, is good skincare, actually. I am in the cosmetology field. I think you should have a very good skincare routine. Yes. Now we're going to have to have you back on. You can tell me all the things that I'm doing wrong. Oh, God. And how I can make it better. All right. Okay. I'm just going to be a regular guest. That's okay. I like you. I'm cool with that. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm totally fine with that. Um, what it will, so we'll, we'll sidetrack a tiny little bit off of that. So what is the best skincare thing? The one thing, if I had to change, what would it be? Um, get an eye cream, ladies and gentlemen, you need an eye cream. Okay. There we go. We heard yep. it here. Yep. What Laura would you consider is your super weapon or your superpower? Um, I think I'm pretty intuitive, um, in a lot of things. Um, and like probably like being an empath and like reading like feelings and like that kind of stuff. Definitely. Um, I feel like I'm a, I am a pretty good people reader. Um, and I have a pretty good, it makes me a pretty good lie detector. So like, (laughs) even though like I can, I feel like I can always be like, "Mm, that was a lie. I'm Maury. (laughs) Yes. Now this is a real episode that we are finally talking about, Maury. And that was a lie. Um, no, so I I do feel like I'm I'm like pretty good at some of that kind of stuff. So, God, I'm so happy right now. We're referring to the Maury Puppet Show of basically just like calling out people on their um, lie detector results or their um, paternity results. People, yeah. Go yes. check it out. It was a good yeah. pastime of ours. Yeah. <laughs> for many, too many years. Yeah. Um, and finally, I always like to ask everybody, what does being fierce mean to you? Um, I feel like, um, I mean, I guess I wouldn't like say like if I was doing a, like checking off a list of things that I say I am, like I, I wouldn't put fierce on there, but I do feel like I can do that. So, um, I feel like one of the things, like, I'm a pretty, I'm not a type A person. Like I am a really go to with the flow type person. Um, but I also don't let people walk on me. I don't at Mm -hmm. all. 
So for me, that's like one of those things that like, I feel like I'm really good at protecting myself. And um, I feel like that gives that maybe would be a fierce quality. It is. And you brought that back in the beginning too. the same thing when you were talking about you and Josh, like boundaries and saying no and and protecting that energy kind of came back around to that. This was incredible. And thank you again. I know that the message that you shared today is going to impact many and going to be a relief for many who are maybe struggling on their own or feeling very alone with this. And I appreciate you always. Yeah, you're welcome. It was, and it was like sort of fun, sort of cry. I know. It was good. I know. <laughs> we'll, we'll come on and you can talk about skincare because <laughs> I also would like to give like listeners as if you didn't think like we're going to get a little offhanded here. Like you guys, this was probably the best conversation that Laura and I had ever have. We didn't laugh at our own jokes. We only <laughs> talked about like two inside jokes. We were so mature. We were very mature. <laughs> Uh, so to all of you, you're very welcome. This could have gone horrifically bad and it didn't. Um, and we appreciate you yeah. listening to us talk and yeah. come and hang out with us because we're yeah. a hoot. And we are so <laughs> cool. <laughs> we are so cool. And now we just ruined it for everybody. And <laughs> we're going to end it right here. On that note, <laughs> bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Fit and Fierce podcast. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes, subscribe and download so you never miss an episode, and drop me a rating and review. It's the best way to support the show and to keep more episodes coming your way. See you next time.